podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai. Welcome to Edge Podcast Nation. This is series number two of our revamped and new look mental health and sports show. Uh, this time around, the series is focusing specifically on footballers uh, and football people within the game of football. We'll be talking to uh, current and ex-footballers generally about their difficulties or their relationship with mental health, addiction or similar subjects. In the current climate, obviously this is talking about mental health issues is more important than, than ever before, in my opinion. Uh, it's a very strange and difficult time uh, and these shows are just an honest and open account discussion some of the issues which might have been faced by the the athletes or the current goings on in the in the world or even at the height of their career it's basically their story with uh, myself and Jacob asking some questions along the way here at Ace Podcast Nation we've got uh, a, v- a whole variety of great shows and series featuring expert analysts exclusive interviews and uh, more so uh, subscribe to youtube.com slash ace podcast nation uh, for the video versions or you can get the audio versions at all the usual podcast and radio platforms uh with no further ado joining me for each episode of this series is uh my good friend now it's uh, a mental health support worker mr jacob best friends jacob. Mate. Best, best friends friend. best friends jacob how are you buddy yeah i'm all right it seems like ages since we did our last one in those times uh Covid's kicked off proper, hasn't it? Damn yeah, it hell. Every gone. time you think it's gone, it's, yeah. it comes back. It comes back. This time it's back for a second go. But uh, I did probably, yeah, I had, my daughter was in isolation because her teacher had Covid. And uh, yeah, three and a half year old in isolation who's... Nasty. Most people, that, if they listen to the podcast, they know I've got ADHD and we're always suspecting if my daughter's got it. Uh, we definitely had an intense test if she had it or not in those two weeks. I was ready to break the law near the end. I was, uh, yeah. yeah, pulling my hair out. And there's not much of that either. So, uh, but yeah, it's great to be back at it. And I suppose since, you know, since we did our last one, there's been a lot more talk about mental health. But also, yeah, sort of, I know you uh, a couple of weeks ago were talking about um, the player commit suicide for Man City. So yeah. I think it's more in people's sort of radars now. And yeah, I think this podcast is more relevant than it's ever been. Yeah, 100%, mate. It's um, it's, it's such a difficult time. Like, I'm lucky. My, my kids now, I thought all three kids, my youngest is 11. So, like, being stuck in the house is not too, not as bad for them, whilst they'd rather be able to go and see their friends and stuff. They're also quite happy to play on the Xbox and. Yeah, what got on their tablets and whatever, so it's a bit easier. But I look back thinking when they were like babies and toddlers all together, I was like, Oh my god, don't know if I'd be able to cope with that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, today's guest is uh, former West Ham, Stoke City, and of course, Manchester United winger, among other clubs, is Mr. Luke Chadwick. Welcome back to the channel, Luke. Thanks very much. Nice to be back and speaking to you, two guys. Top man, yeah, I've been uh, been. Looking forward to having a chat again. Obviously, we had you on the Andy Campbell Football Show uh, on a Monday, a few weeks back on the live show. Um, I think like the main difference with this is obviously in that show, we focused on your kind of on-field career, whereas 
today we're talking more sort of off the field and things like that um and kind of just before we go into to your story and a, a bit about you and stuff like that i did want to make mention of um young jeremy whitson again he's of uh, course a manchester manchester city uh, academy graduate who had been uh, released by manchester city and uh, he unfortunately and sadly committed suicide at such a young age and i think obviously on the Andy Gamble show, we did pay tribute to him and we did talk to him, uh, talk about the situation. Um, you know, it's an incredibly sad situation, but also it's difficult to not feel like it's avoidable. But obviously, without knowing the, you know every in and out of, of his situation and story, is difficult. But uh, Jacob, what was your initial reaction when you saw that and you kind of read the? general story i remember well i posted something i, I read the story and uh i posted it and I, I in my comment i said you know really sad thinking about his family but unfortunately this is going to continue to happen unless you know changes are made you know it's yeah it's one of those things the clubs haven't learned you know uh and we're not even just talking big clubs you know small clubs the way you if you're going to tell an eight-year-old or seven-year-old from, you know, keep doing this and pressure from at that age to then get to 16. Uh, and, you know, their whole sort of life has been playing for a club, playing for a club. And some clubs are great. You know, I'm sure there are some clubs when they drop players, they do it really well. I don't know any club. I'm not aware of any club that offer sort of that say, look, if you are struggling, this is who you go to. Like some aftercare or something. Yeah, there might be. I doubt it. But um, I'm sure there must be one. But, you know, I hear, I hear of loads of clubs that just go, sorry, you're not good enough, go. And, you know, it's like anything. If you're, you're getting a sack, but imagine working somewhere from the age of eight. Imagine having an employer from the age of eight that is your dream job, and then at 16 – uh being just sacked like that but also like at that age i think what i was like at 16 sort of 17 even 18 i was so naive and sort of like so impressionable when if someone i really respected was just basically ended things uh in a in a bad way you know it's it's really you find difficult. it difficult but to deal with the, and process yeah. don't you yeah and the the most annoying thing is is it's not you know, so clubs can go, you know, this costs money and all that. It doesn't cost any money to go, really sorry for your lot. You know, sorry that it didn't work out. But if you are struggling, here's some information. Yeah, you know, it takes two seconds to make a leaflet that says, Find, you know, need support, go to mine, speak to your GP. You could just print something off mine website uh, and hand that out. I don't know any club that do that. Um, mm. And I'd love if someone's listening to it and it's different at their club, let us know. But yeah, all the clubs I've spoke to, they don't do it. Um, so that's the only for me. I feel for his family uh, and his friends because it. You know, we don't know the ins and outs, but uh, there must be at a club like Man City. They've got no excuses. Uh, there's no excuses um, why, you know, why this There's happens. There's no sort of aftercare, isn't it? You'd think yeah, yeah. that there would be some sort of process in place, maybe, whereby... Because the thing which gets me, or I think about a lot, is obviously i got a couple of boys in sort of academy systems, um, 
and they very much are told all the way through that they you know you, this is what you're aiming for you're aiming for that first team and you're aiming for the to get a contract when you're 16 17 that's what you're aiming you, you, and they build you up and build you up and build you up and i've seen boys dropped in the most brutal of fashion one boy i know from a club around by me used to be in the premier league uh got basically got dropped by text after being at the football club since he was six years old um and he was never given any kind of ex explanation or reason and i'm not saying that uh you know kids need to have like a big long explanation about this that and the other but it's a big thing for them to process and to just kind of get it bluntly as a text i think is a bit brutal um luke you've got a bit of a unique kind of insight into this obviously you you work with kids football and also obviously you've been a professional footballer at the top level um like what could clubs and football as a whole do better to try and avoid this happening or this sort of thing happening again yeah it's so hard obviously the whole story that came out is shocking it's an absolute tragedy i've been involved in academy football and been the person releasing kids and it was obviously an awful thing for me to do but more importantly how i'm affecting their lives obviously i tried mm. to do it in the best caring way possible but looking back on my time i certainly didn't do enough in terms of aftercare and at the same time once you're the club that has released a young kid from a from the um, academy or whatever it may be that more or less all the time the, the parents a child are not really interested in your help because you've, you're the one that's yeah. just let go their child, who's obviously, and rightly so, is the most important thing to them, and you've just mm. upset them by releasing them. It's a, the reason that I left, got out of professional football, really, because I couldn't bring myself to do it, to, to shatter young kids' dreams and not having knowing how to, to do that in the most effective way, really. It was... Um, more certainly needs to be done. I was part of a group of people that went to the to the PFA to sort of offer a program in terms of piloting a scheme with a club where it's outsourced because I think people won't accept or the majority of people won't accept help from the team that's just released them because mm. that's the nature of life. You've just upset them and they don't really want your help. I think if it was outsourced and someone separate was coming in to speak to the kids over a three, six, nine, 12 month period where you're sort of giving them positive, positive messages and they're trying to help the kids and point them in the right direction of getting help. I think it's the club's responsibility in terms of getting the kids trials or going to other clubs if that's what they want to carry on doing. But that sort of mental side of it needs to come from another source and not the football club, in my opinion, to make it more effective and make it more of a program that could be rolled out amongst the football clubs. I mean, like even Man City's Chelsea's obviously incredible football clubs who are financed so much. I think even at them clubs, the children and the parents of the children wouldn't be too receptive of receiving help from them. No. The um, So this kind of falls into a question that we got sent in. Um, John Wish sent in a question and he said, um, sorry for the bad example, but, um, and he said, the WWE, which is uh, the World Wrestling Federation, basically, for lack of a better term, they have um, a scheme whereby 
if you have ever worked for him, whether as a, a wrestler or a referee or even in the offices at any point, and you run into mental health, um, addiction issues, anything like that, if you've worked for them a day in your life, they will pay for your treatment. Um, and what John says is basically he's asking, should football clubs or could football clubs implement something like that? Um, and I think just for me personally, I think it's a fantastic idea. But like for, I don't know, I'd pluck a club out of the blue, say, um, oh, we'll use Warsaw as a as a cue, as a example, as we had the captain on, James Clark. Um, I don't think Warsaw have the finances to be able to help every single person who's ever worked for every say every player who's ever played for them who may have mental health or addiction issues like as the years go on they just haven't got the finances but it would be nice if the pfa mm. and the football clubs and the premier league or the fa they could all kind of get together and maybe work out some similar kind of i suppose that's the, that prospect. is the role of the pfa though isn't it well, i know um, it, i don't know how like, what the if there's, you know, if you've been at the game for a certain, amount. but they, it, I know it should be if you've played at a professional level for. Uh, I don't know what the off cut is or how it yeah. works. I think, uh, sorry, I think where the gaping hole is is in the schoolboy ages where they don't fall under a, a governing body, as it were. Mm, They're all yeah. underneath the teams. I think there is support offered through the PFA and LFE from once you turn into a full time footballer at the age of sixteen. They, they do do a lot of good work, but I think the problem is that you sort of have to go and seek that help. And when you're struggling a lot of the time, it's not something mm. that you do, is it? You don't go and seek help for how down you're feeling or whatever. So there's obviously, there's no provision. I don't, I don't think in them under nines to under 16 academy players, there is slightly more 16 to 18 and obviously the rest of your career. But again, it's around someone being proactive and seeking that help when, when you're feeling your mental health isn't great, proactive not something mm. that you are and you're not going to no. go and seek the help that is out there. No, and I think, yeah, I think I can't remember who it was. Someone else mentioned a similar thing on a recent show whereby, because, like you say, because the kids are not professional, they don't fall under that umbrella, so there is this big hole. But then for me, another part, another aspect to that gaping hole is a lot of the academies or particularly the development centres who were kind of part of the academy or a feeder system for the academies, they aren't always run by the football clubs. They're run by the foundations, which obviously use the football clubs' names, but are not always directly affiliated with the football clubs. And I think that creates, or maybe it makes that hole bigger because then you've got all these lads, particularly as they get into the kind of formative teenage years, that's where there's more issues with kind of mental health and things like that. And But then, Jacob, I think a big thing is also making sure that they're doing as well as they can in school, mm. outside of football, so that if, you know, they do get that bad news whereby they're told they're not going to get a professional contract, they don't feel like their whole world yeah. has just ended because... They failed all their GCSEs because they put everything into football. It's it's tricky because can help with that. I think I've done mental health education for a club, 
did it for free. I was happy to do it um, in my sort of role in the NHS. Uh, did, I think, two or three classes. And I was like, look, happy to do more. Um, and then didn't really hear back. And I was like, look, I, you know, I, not that I want to feel wanted, but if I'm doing, you, doing something for you uh, for free... I, I sort of, you sort of expect not a thank you, but just like if you want it more, they could have if they would have emailed me to say, look, loved it, uh, can you come back? Um, I would have done it, and and that's the mm. thing that I I struggle with. I think um, if you've is got that someone, down to football clubs but not being proactive enough? Yeah, I not, think that's what maybe not taking mental think, health yeah. service serious enough. I, I would love to say you know maybe I was rubbish at my job, but uh, I, I know they like what we delivered was a great package. And uh, since then, I've spoke to a few of the families, and I spoke to the families because I was like, we've been told like I was told for years, you know, don't don't even don't even approach the club because they don't you know they don't need it, they don't want it. I spoke to loads of families, and we it only came about because I went to the club and said, look, I spoke to five or six families, they would love this. I'm happy to offer it for free. Um, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we've been wanting this for years, and then yeah, unfortunately, nothing really happened from it. And I think that's the problem. Yeah, you know, there's some amazing charities out there, amazing people that are happy to give their time for free to help people. Um, yeah. But either the clubs, there's just something there. I don't know what it is um, that they're reluctant to take that that leap. You know, in my role. If someone was saying, "Look, I'll come to your work and offer you some free training," I'll, you know, in the same yeah. with Luke. I imagine if someone, if someone said to your, um, your, your business now, "Look, we're going to come and do a free session on mental health education for your coaches," you'd be like, "Fantastic, brilliant," you know, because corporate businesses are paying like thousands of pounds for this. Uh, so if someone's offering it for free, you bite bite their hand off. In most other businesses, in small football projects and grassroots stuff, in grassroots, all these small football projects, girls footballs, boys footballs, they are they would bite their hand off for someone to speak to their players about yeah, for sure. Uh so when it's happening in the clubs and the clubs are like, nah, we 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 don't want it. Uh that's for me, I just don't get it. I find I find it frustrating. Yeah, the, there's a big disconnect there, isn't there, between well, it certainly feels like there's a disconnect between the the outward message regarding mental health from the whether it be the FA, football clubs like publicly, it's very much, you know, mental health is important. Mental health is something that we need to raise awareness. We need to talk about. But then when it comes to doing, I don't feel like everyone's pulling in the same direction. I think that's where and I think that's a problem. football is head over heels. Like not all of it, but I think community football where like it's youth football teams or like things like Luke's running, uh, are head and shoulders above the pro game we're talking about mental health and especially with the youth level of like and how we look after our even if it's just the language we talk we look after our well-being how do we look after our well-being before a game um and you know i was told you know oh parents parents luke might be able to tell me this uh but uh, i was told by one club the parents don't care the parents just want their players their son to make it they don't care about and i said look me personally, as a parent, I want my child, if the choice is out of team A or team B, they're both the same sort of level, but one is offering more support around sort of what happens if the player is released. As a parent, I'm more likely to choose that. But I was told, 100%. no, I was told, nah, the parents don't care about that. They only care about, you know, 
which is the highest level, which I get, you know, if one's, you know, Premier think... League and one's League One, maybe, but if they're at the same sort of level, I don't know if I'd buy that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for me, go on, Luke, go on. I think football clubs that tend to be a bit closed off, and I think the perception is that that they are doing an, doing enough in terms of the mental health side of it and everything with workshops and whatever. But in reality, obviously, the story that came out last week, it, loads more needs to be done because there's thousands and thousands of kids that are getting released from football clubs every mm. season, and it is going to affect you in a negative way. And more needs to be done to support that. I think what I found in academy football, not with everyone, there's some fantastic people there, but a lot of the the kids are there just to become a professional footballer and they come into the system way, way too early and they're training three times a week from the age of nine and it sort <laughs> yeah. of takes over their whole life. And it's it's just, it doesn't sit right with me, the amount mm. that they do at such young ages and then get too much, too much, too out. young. Yeah. When they shoot it, they could be, I mean, the, I remember the fondest memories of my childhood was playing with my mates in the local grassroots team. It was the best times of your life. And I think we, we take that away from them a little bit by getting mm. them into academies at, at such a young age. The, um, the academies, this, this, once you get to high school, um, and I only kind of know this from personal experience, was once you get to high school, so sort of year seven, year eight, um, they actually stop you playing in a lot of cases for your grassroots side. So, for instance, for my oldest son, he's a goalkeeper. So they did in they did they would let him play for his grassroots team, but only after I sort of said, well, he's not first choice goalkeeper. So he's traveling to all the games, he's doing all the training, but quite often he'll be sat on the bench. So he's not playing on a Saturday because he's in this academy, but then he's, and it, do you know, there's a big disjoint there and it was affecting him. So I think it's about everyone pulling in the same direction at all levels, I guess. Um, so Luke, if I put you on a spot very quickly, just to put you on a spot now, so don't worry too much about it, but I'm just interested in general in the kind of ideas that you would come up with. If I was the, the head of the FA and I said, right, Luke, Luke Chadwick, I want um, the way we help footballers and the way we deal with mental health in the Premier League and Championship to, to improve and to get better and to, to change. Um, what three things would you implement like from day one or early days to try and get the ball rolling? I think obviously education's a huge thing from the youngest ages, understanding what the journey is going to look like and there's 99% chance that this journey is not going to end in you becoming a professional footballer. And the most important part of it is enjoying the journey while you're on it, not sort of just be concentrating on being a footballer at the end of it. It's an incredible opportunity at most academies and they get loads of fantastic experiences. But if you don't enjoy that experience because all you want to do is become a professional footballer, I think it's, it's sort of, I don't want to say waste of time, but it's sort of, takes away yeah exactly I think in terms of an exit process needs to be sorted out so you understand that from the second you sign for the club this is what's going to happen and there's every chance at some stage this journey is going to come to an end and this is how we're going to deal with it and then that is dealt with from people 
outside the football club, from professional agencies, whoever it is, who's got an expertise in dealing with something like being released from a football club, they take over the process from the club. And if the, the child wants to carry on in his journey in professional football, the club are responsible for sorting out trials and going for other clubs. But all the, the mental side of it is left to, to experts in the field. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great start, and I think that'll be a, that's the sort of basis you want if you want to change the way things are. And I think it's vital that something's done because I don't want to be reading in a few months' time about another academy player or another, just another footballer who's or ex footballer who's kind of taken their own life because they're you know they've struggled with their career ending or being dropped or you know whatever it may be. Um, we've got to kind of stop that cycle which seems to be coming becoming more uh more regular for lack of a better term you know it's happening more and i wonder as well like obviously we hear about various footballers at various time having issues whether they're current or ex-footballers whether it's issues with mental health or addiction or problems whatever it may be i wonder about all the ones we're not hearing about because they're not mm. telling people like and I guarantee there's a lot, whether it's ex or current footballers who are having some sort of battle, whether it's mental health or addiction or whatever it may be. And almost they're the ones I worry for even more because they're keeping it to themselves. And I think it's COVID and lockdown and things like this is only going to make it worse. I think, Jacob, mm. I think you agree yeah. with that as well. Yeah, definitely. I was COVID. thinking... I think you've got to look at the environment with COVID. If you look at low level, you know, League One, League Two, you know, them not getting any ticket, any gate, you know, from the fans is going to have a huge financial effect on them near the end of the season. So where before they maybe took, you know, signed a couple of youth players uh, from their academies, now they're going to be like, you know, is that... And some, some clubs might go, look, is this financially viable for us to even run an academy yeah uh you know for some clubs it, it's not um you know i know some fans might go yeah but if we've got no money it's, it's cheaper to get a, a, a young player but if a manager is on a short contract that, that manager is not going to go i'm going to anyway. yeah he's not going to go look i'm going to put my career my reputation my job on signing these two young players he's just going to go you know i'm going to go with what i know um so, yeah, that's the problem. I think we're really going to see it. So I know uh, with, um, with sort of academy development squads, um, I think it's the 17s to 18s, they hear about their contracts. There's two twice a year, I think it is. So it's uh, December. I know it is locally, so December and then at the end of the season. So, you know, I think by the end of the summer, we're going to either see, you know, hopefully not, but we might see a few more cases, unfortunately. Yeah, obviously, the other aspect of it is uh, Keith Gillespie spoke about his difficulties with gam uh, gambling in episode one. And um, I believe that uh, gambling addiction in young players is over the next 10 to 15 years, I think is going to be even more uh, prevalent than problems with like alcohol and things like this that maybe players in the 70s and 80s and 90s may have had or some of them have had you know coming out of the game i believe gambling is going to be the biggest problem for the players because like if you think of lockdown 
how bored these players are going to have been. Gambling is the most accessible and easy thing to do. And if you, you know, if you're a Premier League or even a Championship player, you get thousands of pounds a week, more money than you can spend once you've you know got the car and the house and whatever else you want to get. I just think that's going to be a massive issue. Um, but um, hopefully we can keep the, the. My opinion is with mental health addiction, everything is the more that we talk about it, the more that we get people on like Luke and talk about it and talk about different ideas of how to get things to improve or to change. Ultimately, that's the only way to go. If we kind of just everyone just says, oh, it's tragic and then goes about their daily life again, then you don't really get anywhere. Um, but that's just my opinion anyway. Um, so, Luke, what we like to do, like we're going to kind of go a bit more into you now. Um, but for should have done this at the start, really. But for people who are maybe not familiar with you and who you are, who you play for, etc., um, just in your own words, tell us a bit about you, your upbringing, your career. Where did it all begin for Luke Chadwick, and how did you become who you are today? Yeah, so start at the beginning as a little kid, first experience of football was just playing out in the garden with my brother. And my dad went on to to play for a grassroots team as a eight-year-old in an under nines team. And back in back in them days, you were straight onto a full-size football pitch for full-size goals, playing eleven v eleven. As a kid, I was freakishly fast, so I used to be the striker. My teammates would kick the ball over the top of the defenders' heads, and I'd just chase after it and tap it in the goal. So I had a huge amount of success as a young player. I grew up in a tiny village called in South Cambridge. So it's not exactly a hotbed for um, football talent. And I was sort of head and shoulders above everyone else. So that sort of early success gave me belief to carry on and carried on scoring loads of goals as a kid and got scouted to go up to Man United as a as a 14-year-old. Went up there, absolutely loved it. Got signed as a schoolboy, which meant I'd just go up there at the weekend and spend the weekend there till I left school at 16 and then became a YTS. Obviously had a great time as a YTS player, ended up signing as a professional player, went on loan to Royal Antwerp in Belgium, which was a fantastic <laughs> experience both on and off the pitch, which I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed. And then went back to, to Man United where I started getting a few games in the first team. From then I went on to play for various other clubs it was a somewhat of a a journeyman which can sometimes be used in a negative term in, as a footballer but I'm quite comfortable with that because I had a fantastic journey there were obviously loads of ups and downs along the way but it was um I loved being a footballer I ever wanted to be as a kid was a footballer so to achieve that and be of being a footballer for 17 18 years is something I'm hugely proud of yeah, 100%. You had an amazing career. And um, you mentioned the the highs and the lows. Um, and that's something that we have talked about with each guest is football is, you know, one minute you're the hero, the next minute you're the villain. The feeling can go from one extreme to the other from week to week. Um, how difficult did you find it, particularly in the kind of the early days of your career, to deal with those extreme highs and lows? Yeah, I think obviously I went through a real tough time when I was at Man United and I, I never knew how to to deal with that. I was an extremely quiet, shy lad who 
naively had no idea what it was like being a professional footballer, particularly playing for the, the biggest club in the world. I was never comfortable or really wanted to be famous, as it were, but it sort of comes with a territory. And the experiences I went through at the club was sort of being mocked for my appearance. I had spots on my face, teeth that stuck out, and it was something that was made quite a big deal of on TV shows, in the media, etc. And it was something that made me feel awful inside, something that I had no idea to deal with, but was also so closed off in a bubble of football. All I knew was football, so I never told anyone about it and suffered in silence, as it were, as I went through that that period of my life. Do you um, do you remember the first time that I know? Like uh, they think it's all over. Obviously, it was one of the shows which was sort of doing that sort of thing. Do you remember the first time that it happened and your initial reaction to it? Yeah, I, the first time anything ever happened like that was when I was in Belgium and I was doing really well, and a, a Belgian newspaper done a really big article on me. Obviously, I went out and got it. Couldn't read the language, but one thing just stuck out to me, and it was obviously about football, but it said Dentia a la Bugs Bunny. And I saw that and it obviously it's a, it shouldn't, yeah. in my opinion, it shouldn't have made me feel as bad. I felt awful about it. I felt mm. so ashamed and embarrassed about it. I wanted to go and buy all the copies of the paper so no one else would see it. And then going back to Manchester, I got a text on a Friday evening off a friend saying, nice appearance on They Think It's All Over. I weren't watching the show at the time, so quickly turned over. My heart sank because I thought it can't be a, a positive thing but then I think one of the the teams got a question right and there was a big screen behind uh, where the, the table where they were set or whatever and it was they showed me celebrating a goal so I thought had pure relief because I thought oh that that's that must have been what they meant but then a couple of minutes later I think a picture of me come on the screen and obviously they were mocking my appearance the way I looked yeah. and it it was like a a stomach turning moment where again the whole embarrassment of it all the shame of it and it I was angry at myself because it was such a a childish sort of schoolboy thing I didn't know why it was making me feel so bad and at the same time I'd never had any intention of telling anyone because how could I say that this was making me unhappy because I was a a young kid living his dream playing for the biggest football club in the world so it was a a challenging time and again I didn't really know myself enough because from the age of nine, 10, whenever I've started playing football, that was all that mattered to me. So I never really developed myself in other, any other areas. I didn't concentrate at school. I didn't have any sort of emotional intelligence to express myself, to mm. explain how I was feeling. So it made it a real, a real tough time during that period. So you just, your, so would you say your reaction to that was to kind of bottle all those feelings of, of kind of shame or or embarrassment or whatever for for the the comments and the way that you were being basically bullied for you know that's mm. what it is for your appearance. Did you do you bottled up all those feelings? Oh, completely, completely all bottled up inside. I wouldn't mention it to anyone. If anyone said anything to, about me to, to me about it, I'd say it's fine. I'm not bothered and just yeah. sort of get on with things. So it was. Obviously, I, I didn't know myself well enough to be able mm. to express myself, which obviously would have made the situation a hell of a lot easier and a hell of a lot better for me. But I wasn't capable of doing that at the time. 
Yeah, I guess dealing with someone at 30, say, and then dealing with someone at 19, particularly <laughs> if you've got a shy personality anyway, is very difficult. But like Jacob, you're a mental health support worker. Um it, yeah, it's bottling like, things up is like Luke's you know, Luke's story is, you know, because I was I was so how old are you, Luke? Sorry? How old are you? I was 19. No, how old are you now? Oh, just coming up 40 next Wednesday. So I think I'm you, when I was, because I remember you were, you were playing, so I'm 33. So I'm, I was in secondary school when you were playing for United. So I remember sort of that sort of, don't remember it on TV because I was probably a little bit, maybe 16, maybe a little bit too young. But I remember sort of that sort of, the stuff around that sort of time. And like now when you look at it, like just hearing a story, it just makes you feel like, like who was even like how was this even happening like how did this even like who thought let's pick on this young little boy like you know because you know and like now i think it's something when you came out to actually say you know this did affect me i think it woke up a lot of people to go actually it is a it's a disgrace really that it happened for so long and that it was just okay that we could just bully this person um and I know, you know, a lot of uh, the pundits and stuff come out and apologise, but, you know, a part of me thinks they should have done that at the time. Uh, and and I think time is one of those things that uh, we can look back at some things and go, oh, we really dealt really well with that. And other things, I think it's the ugly side of football. And I think when you were talking just then, I thought, I thought your emotional and mental health resilience in that situation is amazing, really, because other players or other people in that situation probably wouldn't have reacted as well as you did. And probably, you know, there's some people that probably wouldn't be where you are now because, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, um, Jesse from, uh, uh, what's it called? Little mix. She was bullied on national TV, but it was more with social media about the way she looked when she was in X factor and stuff like that. And then she's come out with a documentary about how that affected her with eating disorder and her depression and stuff like that. Mm. I think, you know, we have, at, you know, I suppose now social media is still doing that stuff that was happening on national TV, but it's just not open as much as it is, you know, when yours was on national TV. And I think that's the problem. I think, you know, you've so, talked about, you know, Ian Wright uh, receiving, you know, the amount of uh, racial abuse he gets online. And I think it happens still today. Where I'd love to say, oh, football's changed and we're, with different culture, we don't get away with that. It still happens today, but it's just hidden a little bit better. So we're not talking about it. So when Luke comes out and shares his story and it goes sort of viral, people go, oh, this is disgusting. This is the old football. And this is, you know, it's not like it is now. We've changed mm. and evolved. In some ways we have. I think we have. It's I just, think it's on but social media it, instead. Yeah, it's just of hidden away. Um, BBC think, One at primetime TV, if, you know? If you look at, um, you know... It's still having, if you watch some stand-up comics mm. online posting stuff, uh, it's just tricky. It's so tricky. And I think uh, Luke is a real sort of uh, champion for uh, emotional and mental health resilience. Because where you are now, you know, it's amazing. And I think as with your work, with your uh, football academy and your work with that, I think as a parent, uh, I'd be really like proud that my son was going to like your academy. Because I think, not just because you've achieved those levels, because I think, you know, I'm never going to be a professional footballer, but I think to achieve the, what you did on the, on the pitch is amazing. But I think uh, 
you it's overshadowed with what you've achieved off the pitch. And I think uh, it shouldn't be underestimated what you've achieved for the amount of abuse you received to now be where you are. We can go actually, you know, I bottled it and it wasn't helpful for me. I suppose for me, it would be interesting to know what was it that, you know, normally when people bottle stuff up, it leads to either it's spilling out somewhere and then they're going, shit, I need some help, I need some support. So what was it for you that made you go, I need to look into this and get some help? I think in terms of leaving, when I left Manchester United, it sort of, it was, I loved playing for Manchester United and know the club so much, but it was a bit of a, a relief as well because I, I weren't comfortable being under the spotlight. I didn't really mm. want to be famous and just sort of growing up and becoming more confident in myself and not knowing that I could deal with this situation. And obviously the the abuse went away in terms of I weren't at Man United anymore, so no one was that bothered <laughs> what I was doing, as it were. So it, time's a great healer, isn't it? And I think over the, the years and learning about myself, I was able to to deal with it in a in a constructive way. Probably didn't talk about it a huge amount of the time but that that's what I'd say was the issue that I had that I, that I couldn't talk about it but now I mean yeah. obviously it was 20 odd years ago so mm. I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about it now but I think time just healed the wounds and just sort of got over what I went through and just obviously had my whole life ahead of me and although it weren't a club of the prestige of Manchester United I just loved being a professional footballer and had so much gratitude because that was all I wanted to do and now I didn't have to to deal with the press on any sort of level really or be mm. on the telly because all I was was a footballer and all I ever really craved was a a quiet life to do what I to do what I always dreamed of doing because um, oh sorry sorry because I I've watched uh, one of the interviews I think you did for ITV and uh, I remember watching I watched it this afternoon and the interviewer is not very, he's just trying to get a story. You can tell that because he keeps pushing you for uh, something that's clickbait, I think. Um, but I think you can tell from, uh, he's asking the questions about when you brought out the, the sort of, uh, when you said, oh, these are some of my experiences. I think you generally didn't think it would go as crazy as it went and viral. And, and I think there's a, you can see from your humbleness that uh, it was a massive surprise. And, and you're actually, in the interview, you could see you're quite uncomfortable with how far, you know, you, you wanted to say your story, but not that it go as big as it did. Yeah, to be honest, it, I, I never had any idea it would go as, as big as it did. And I think the message maybe got lost a little bit where in terms of it was purely a positive message in terms of it's a tricky time. Everyone's mental health is going to be fluctuating. We're in this period of lockdown where no one really knows what's going on. And it was just a message saying, the best way of dealing with that sort of thing when you're feeling low is to talk about it, something that I didn't do mm. when I was going through a tough time at Manchester United. And I think it sort of got turned into a blame game with yeah. the people that were on the show. And I'm, I'm, like, obviously it upset me at the time, but I never hated them or anything like that. I just I was just desperate for it to stop. So in mm. terms of the way the story was spun and Nick Hancock on the... The telly apologising made yeah. me feel a little bit uncomfortable because I, I weren't asking for that. Obviously, it's nice that he'd done it, but it was it. it I didn't make any odds to me whether they apologised or not because I was I was over that situation as it were. I, 
I've forgiven whatever they yeah, said about me. It was it 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 doesn't matter if they apologise or not. It just took away from the positive message that I was trying to spread. And again, again, as I spoke about when I was a kid, probably naively, I didn't even <laughs> think about that when I posted the the tweet many months ago. What uh, positives came from it? The the best thing that came from it, I've received a fair few messages with, from people just saying. It's helped me, and the feeling that that gave me oh, was brilliant. incredible. Work to to think that I don't get me wrong. I know I'm not a a big superstar. Or everyone's going to listen to, but to have got their messages from people saying, "Thanks for saying what you did." I went through this, and this has given me the confidence to talk about it. And to, like the the humility that I feel, mm. like I'm so humbled to have received their messages. It was um, an incredible feeling to receive that. Something I weren't expecting at all, really. Yeah, I think um, that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's the the positives which come from it when you did, you know, do the the tweet and then you did some interviews and stuff. There's um, if you can reach that one person, we've talked about that a lot on this show. Is that if you can reach that one person who is maybe bottling some things up or is struggling with gambling or drinking or whatever subject we might have talked about over the various shows. If you can reach that one person who maybe is keeping things to themselves and they just open up to a friend or a family member or someone, you know, that's that's the aim at the end of the day is trying to spread that positive message. Um, and yeah, I, mean, I guess the other thing as well is like in your situation where you, you bottled it up and then it, it, it seems like over the years you kind of came to terms with it a bit and because it quietened down a bit as well, you were able to kind of, get your head around it and deal with it yourself. Whereas if, say, for instance, you'd stayed at Manchester United and it carried on, it could have become more of a problem. Or if, you know, a different person maybe would have dealt with that bottling it up very, you know, differently, it could have spilled out, like Jacob uh, mentioned, whether it be like anger on the pitch or off the pitch or, you know, upset or drinking, whatever it may be, bottling up, emotions can lead to that i would imagine well i know from personal experience but obviously bottling up feelings can lead to further issues with mental health so i don't know what it's not really a question in there i guess it's just a luckily in your situation you were able to you know you dealt with it over the years and are able then to promote a positive message now Mm. but another person maybe it could have gone very wrong and caused further issues. Yeah, I think like throughout that period, I I always loved myself. So I, I think in them early days, I didn't know mm-hmm. why I loved myself because I didn't learn about it. But in my sort of opinion, I, I thought I looked quite normal. I didn't really <laughs> understand it. Obviously, the other people felt differently, but there was never sort of looking in the mirror in disgust or self-loathing or anything like that. So I think it helped me that, like I loved myself throughout. It didn't affect mm. how I felt towards myself. It was just like desperate for it to all come to an end, really. Yeah, and I guess like when um, when I spoke to you at, towards the end of the Andy Campbell show, and we kind of briefly touched on it, um, and you said then like you didn't really want an apology from the guys. It was the positivity or your message got lost in it. Um, and I think, Jacob, you are right, mate, that 
it's you don't see that sort of thing on on TV as much these days. Like you might get the odd comedian, like stand up comedian, maybe who will target like celebrities or, or footballers. But generally, I think they've moved away from that kind of bullying kind mm. of content. And with stand up comedy, I mean, it's weird, like it's I'm in a bit of a weird boat because I do enjoy like um, quite edgy stand up comedians and stuff like that. But I think where the, there's like a line is where you're criticizing people for something they can't help or their appearance or things like that. I think that's where it goes away from kind of, you know, being like edgy comedy to, to just edging on the side of bullying, I guess. But, and I know some people will say, well, you should be able to joke about everything, but it's not, is it? Because you can't joke about everything because, you know, in Luke's case, it was causing him a tremendous amount of upset. And like I just mentioned, it could have led to other stuff. And you know, thankfully it didn't. Luke, what was ever, was anything ever said like with the players at United? Like, did they ever say to you, or oh, what do you think to that? Or make like jokes at it? No, there was never, to be honest, there was never, maybe a couple of the younger lads might have had a laugh about it to me. And I probably would have laughed along with them. I think the more experienced players, didn't really like joke about anything like I know a lot of a few of them said don't worry about all that mm. rubbish and stuff like that and I I didn't know what I was coming into to be I didn't know mm. if this is just it this is what being a footballer is because obviously I'm playing with big stars who would get abused getting off the bus at every yeah, yeah. away game we used to go to as well so it was just a case of you're gonna have to deal with this Luke and because of like I mentioned I, I was never had any intention of telling anyone about how I was feeling. It was just a case of get batten down the hatches and sort of get through it the best way you can. Did you, you ever get oh sorry sir. Did you ever get to any moments where it was really bad where you were thinking, you know, I can't carry on with this? It affected me the most away from football. Football was always my release, something I I always loved doing, but like I would I was obsessed with Every time I'd go anywhere, people were looking at me and laughing. So I'd, I'd rarely go out the flat. I wouldn't want to socialise. I wouldn't want to go out anywhere. So it was purely a case of going to football, then coming home. And it, don't get me wrong, I'm, I know now I probably could have gone anywhere and I might have got the odd comment. But I'm, mm. in my head, it was every single person was in on the joke apart from me and everyone was, was laughing about the way that I looked. Mm. That must have created a tremendous amount of pressure, though, on you, like mentally. If you're starting to think about, like, you know, your life outside football, going out and things like this, that's got a, particularly for someone so young, it's got a weigh on your mind a lot. Um, was there someone who, at the time, if say you know, like I know you said you you kind of dealt with it gradually and got your head around it, was there someone at United or? around you at that time who you could have spoken to about it and said like it's getting to me or it's you know it's really becoming a problem oh without a shadow of a doubt I think that the club would have supported me any way they can I think I didn't speak to my family or anyone about it so I obviously had a support network around me that would have helped me but because I was so embarrassed and ashamed about it and thought it was something wrong with me because it was making me feel so bad. There was no way in the world that I would ever have broached the subject and 
and spoke about it. Yes. Um, Have you spoken to your family about it since? Because as as a parent, like, I, yeah, it must be like, because you've got kids, haven't you? Yeah. So as a parent now, do you, you know, if you, if imagine it happening to a kid, it would be heartbreaking to think, oh God, like, did you, have you ever spoke to your parents since to say how, like, how did they sort of react to it? I've ne- not, not gone into detail about how they were feeling about, obviously I understand now that it'd, it'd be heartbreaking, but in, in my mind, if they ever asked me about it, I would have said, I said that I was fine because I was, mm. I'd rather, in my in my mind, if I said I was fine, that would make them mm. feel fine, if you know what I mean. So yeah, that was yeah. the only sort of um, thoughts that I had back then, obviously now as an older man and understanding mm. a little bit better, I can imagine it was, um, or it, it'd be heartbreaking for anyone to hear their child spoke about yeah. like that. Oh God, yeah. Um, look, bit of a, interesting kind of question or twist on it but i was wondering what would you so say if you had a time machine and you were could go back and speak to yourself and advise yourself now like how to deal with it back then what advice would you give yourself with dealing with it would you have dealt with it the same way knowing what you know now or would you have reached out to someone to be honest i've been asked this question a lot and if i went back now and said to luke 20 years ago and gave him some advice, that person wouldn't have taken the advice because how that person was. So I don't think it would have made any difference. I'm a, I'm a, I don't like regrets. So I like to think everything happened for a reason. Nothing happened as a mistake. And that was part of my journey that, that I've gone through and hopefully has, has made me a better person having, mm. having dealt with that situation. So it, it's a tough, it's a good question. So si, it's a, a tough one to answer. And I'm yeah, a big I, believer. I get him sometimes. <laughs> I'm a big believer, similar to what you said, Luke, on the power of lived experience. And I think the Luke Chadwick that's here today would not be here today if it wasn't for the young Luke Chadwick who went through all that diversity and all those struggles. And I think uh, I say this to people, you know, if it, if it isn't for our struggles in life, turn us into the people we are today and I think if I think of all the struggles I've had in my life with you know if that's family members or my own personal stuff I just wouldn't be the person that I am today that's passionate and creative or really care about other people I think we have to go through those difficult moments so I always say to people that when they are struggling and say you know this is a journey and you know you might be at that stage where you're struggling at this moment but in a year's time or two years time you can look back at that old you and go you know if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have built that um, resilience to be where I am now. Yeah, hundred percent. I th- I agree with um, that, Jacob. It, you know, your uh, your your battles and your the negative things which happen over your life they contribute to you as you evolve as a person and, and through life. I say that as I turned thirty nine today. This uh, 39, 39 years of very up and down stuff and it's, that's how you learn i guess is by uh negativity or bad things that happen good things that happen i do think that you learn more from mistakes or things negative things that happen but that's just that's just me and my negative mind probably um look look thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. us and i appreciate you um you know you speaking about all this uh, again 
because I know you've been through it quite a few times uh, over the last few months. But I do appreciate your, you know, your time and your honesty. And um, as I've been, as me and Jacob have been saying, you know, for the first five, six shows of this series, we just want to try and reach those people who might be struggling with various issues, whether it's, it could be bullying, it could be addiction, it could be PTSD. We've talked about many different subjects along the way. Um, and most importantly, I'd say, uh, as a good friend of mine says, keep on keeping on. And then we'll drop links on our social media uh, to the mental health pages, uh, Mind Mental Health Charity and a few others in the description. Um, Jacob, as ever, thank you very much. Yeah, definitely. No, I loved it. Luke, just quickly, uh, so with your uh, football school, so if where is that run? Is that local to you? So at the moment, we're based in the um, the southeast East Anglia region, but we're hoping to to grow our network further in the coming year. And how do, if I'm a parent of that area, how do I get involved? So we'll, it's all over Facebook. If you go on the Football Fun Factory, have a look at that, and that'll keep you informed of all the areas that we're sort of going to be growing in in the near future and drop me a text get me number off sign and i'll um i'll sort you out anyway oh brilliant and uh, yeah i've i've been looking on uh, instagram seeing some of the stuff you're doing so i definitely recommend any parents got kids uh, into football get get down there because they look like doing some good stuff yeah i'll put the links to the the football factory stuff as well in the description for the episode um so we'll be back with another episode next week eight o'clock exclusively ace podcast nation presents mental health and sport series number two uh we've got some good guests coming up we've had we've been so lucky with this series had some you know some really big names like luke keith gillespie david cottrell our very own andy campbell as well and um i'm really i'm hoping and we of course we had the current warsaw captain uh james clark as well um who's his show was really well received and um, they've all been really well received and Hopefully we can keep keep talking about mental health, mm. keep spreading the word. And um, we've got some, some more guests lined up. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that we might be able to get someone from the PFA on as well. Um, it's been discussed. No confirmation yet. But we'll see. Fingers crossed. Uh, in the meantime, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Drop a video a like or whatever and uh, give it a share. But uh, we'll be back next week. Don't forget to check out the Andy Campbell Football Show on Mondays, live, 7.30 as well. Cheers. Network.